Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Leadership is defined as influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Oswald Sanders said that. Here's the four things I know leaders do, beyond question. First, leaders lead. They are not absent in a time of crisis. Second, leaders influence. They build relationship and build on relationships. Third, leaders create positive change. Not just chaos, carnage, or wreckage. Anybody can do that. They leave things better than when they found them. And lastly, leaders solve problems. They fix the problem and not the blame. The CEOs of the seven food banks that serve all of Michigan are leaders. They lead, they influence, they are present, they are making things better for the 1.5 million people who are plagued by the toxic stress of hunger. They are problem solvers. We've had a parade of who's who of leaders in Michigan as guests on this show already. I think back to Jim Robinson of Farm Bureau of Michigan when he told the story of how when he realized the food security rate among children in Michigan gave him the motivation to get involved and impact those children's future. In fact, Farm Bureau of Michigan became the sponsor of this show, Food for Thought. So thanks, Jim, for caring and leading a company that cares. Rob Fowler, a thoughtful leader who stands in the gap for so many Michigan families who start, own, and operate small businesses across our state, said on this show, we've never had this conversation before. Rob is an influencer who is joining the conversation about creating food security for all Michigan families. Cindy Estrada, the vice president of the UAW for General Motors, said, Phil, I'm so glad you're doing this show. We are too, Cindy, and we're working to create positive change. Lori Solotoro from Michigan Health Endowment Fund. Attorney General Bill Schutte, Dr. Stephen Borders from Grand Valley State University, and Dr. Pierce of the University of Washington by way of the University of Michigan, all guests on our show. Senators Pete McGregor and Senator Jim Ananick, all coming together to say, here's an issue among all the issues that separate us Here's an issue, creating food security that unites us. Let's get the tools we need and let's work to solve hunger in Michigan. Well, today's show is no different. Today we have a tested leader who didn't shrink in the midst of a crisis. He is steadily influencing the influencers on our behalf, creating positive change, and today is helping to solve problems from Syria to Saginaw. He is Congressman Dan Kildee, And he's on Food for Thought. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Food for Thought. Sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here on Food for Thought. And our guest, as uh, announced earlier in the show, is U.S. Congressman Dan Kildee, who represents Michigan's 5th District. 
Uh, Congressman Kildee, welcome to Food for Thought here on WJR. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, it's it's great to be with you, and um, I I'm been looking at your Twitter feed, and I'm realizing once again that to be a United States congressman, you have to be cognizant of so many different issues, challenges, and opportunities. And I I said in the opening that um, that you were working uh, from issues from uh, from Syria to Saginaw, and yeah, that. That is true. It's one of the things about the job that uh, is most interesting and also most challenging is that there's not a subject that does not, at one point or another, uh, come on our radar. So, uh, well, we we but, you know there's not there's nothing more fundamental than the needs the needs of the people that I represent right here in in Mid Michigan. And the issue that you raise, this issue of uh, of food and nutrition, is you know it's fundamental to human life, and it's uh, something that. We ought not have to focus attention on in a civilized society, a wealthy nation like this, but it's a fact that we have to. It is. Uh, for much of my career, I've spent it out of the United States, uh, working in East Africa and other parts around the world. And, you know, I just have to say, to just segue from your thoughts to this issue, that I, I'm just still in shock that we're having a Flint water crisis, and I'll be glad when we can say it's no longer a crisis, here in America, uh, and and particularly here in the great state of Michigan, but yet we are having to focus so many resources, so much of our time, energy, and thoughts in solving this problem, and you've been at the forefront of that, and I first off, I have to say thank you for your leadership, because uh, in the midst of a crisis, leaders either emerge or they shrink, and you emerged as a voice for the people of Flint. Well, thank you. You know, it's Flint's my hometown, and uh, you know, everything everything that I have, everything that I am, I owe to the people of Flint, to that community. So it's uh, it's it's just, I think, an instinct to protect the people that you know that I care so much about, and so I. In, in, in part, it's my job, but also I think it's just a natural, uh, natural thing for anybody with a connection to a community like that to do everything they can to make it right. So it's a struggle. And as you say, it's almost unbelievable that, number one, that this crisis occurred, but secondly, that the willingness of government to respond properly to the crisis uh, was so low and that it took you know, voices, not just mine, but lots of voices to push state government, mm-hmm. ultimately to push people within Congress to join me to, to try to get more help for Flint. It should have been immediate. It wasn't. And that's one of the things that I think is a really important lesson, um, you know, for for people around the country is that there are people who have great needs and people of Flint have additional needs as a result of this crisis, but it's still a place that uh, that deserves to have its government respond when it's in its moment of greatest need, and it was slow to respond, sadly. Yes, he's uh, Congressman Dan Kildee. He represents the 5th District here in Michigan. And, uh, Congressman, uh, just recently, just segueing from your comments there, you have sponsored legislation, uh, and I love the title of it, uh, Get the Lead Out. Tell us about this piece and why you wrote it and why it's important. Sure. So my bill would do a couple of things, but primarily it would lower the acceptable level of lead in drinking water. Right now, the federal standard is 15 parts per billion 
as if that is an acceptable standard um, in, of lead or copper in water. And our view is that's just, that's just far too much. There is no safe level of lead. Lead is a neurotoxin. And the fact that we have that standard puts communities in a position where they're one mistake away from having a crisis like what we see in Flint. Jeez. The standard that is in place right now, in fact, is mostly for the convenience of government. Uh, it's, it will be expensive to have drinking water systems that can guarantee that there would not be lead going into, uh, into water systems, into the, basically into the bodies of people consuming that water. Our bill would take it to five parts per billion over 10 years, and it would force the federal government, state governments, water systems to come face-to-face with the fact that we have allowed our infrastructure to deteriorate to the point where it's no longer safe. We, we think this new standard, if it were enacted, would force the kind of reinvestment that guarantees public health and public safe public drinking water, and that's, that's the reason we're doing it. We would also right. in significantly increase the testing regimen. For example, we would require schools to be tested on an annual basis. It's not a requirement right now. Right. We just think we need to do a better job of protecting public health through drinking water. That's what our bill would do. And and it's just, you know, uh, for all the constitutionalists who are listening to the show, that's the fundamental uh, responsibility of the federal government, to protect us as citizens. That's right. And and, uh, we need to use every tool we have. And, of course, we know what happens when state and federal governments don't act to protect citizens hmm. because we've seen the result of it. So, you know, this, I think, is a, this is a, an idea whose time has come. Unfortunately, the people of Flint have had to experience this terrible crisis in order to bring attention to it. But it would be, a, it would be just a mistake and really a tragedy if the Flint story uh, did not get us to think differently about this question and change public policy in a really meaningful way, and uh, you know, I think I think we, we have a moral obligation to do this. I hope I hope that I'll be joined by others uh, in Congress in pushing this through. Well, we hope so too. Um, it, it's it's we just can't afford to have another crisis like this, and and for no other reason, the children that it has affected. And I know that you've been right alongside of us at the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan, one of our seven food banks at the Food Bank Council of Michigan that has been instrumental in distributing both water filters, but most importantly, the lead mitigating foods uh, that have, um, you know, to particularly to the children of the of Flint. And um, I, I just... You know, I, I'm happy. I'm pleased that the food bank has been instrumental in the middle of the crisis, but we don't want to do it again. That's for sure, and you're right. They've, the food bank's been great. Uh, we know that there there's no way to reverse or to completely cure lead exposure. Right. But there are things we can do to help kids get through it. And having a diet that's that's high in calcium, iron, vitamin C can really make a difference in these in the lives of these children and the food banks are just great in terms of getting those sorts of um, that kind of food into into the uh, families so that those kids can have a fighting chance 
Congressman Kildee, if you can stay with us uh, through the break, we're going we're gonna to take a short break and come back. We want you to continue this great conversation with us here on Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. We're back with Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan's 5th District, and we're going to take this conversation to the next level. Congressman, I, I, let me just broaden the, um, the topic just a little bit to uh, the state of Michigan, where we know that 1.5 million citizens in our state are living, are, and that's probably not the right verb or adjective to use there, but they are... They are existing in poverty, 1.5 million. And here at the research that we've done at the Food Bank Council, we understand that the cost of hunger in our state from 2007 to 2010 rose by $1 billion. Uh, And we just, this is Michigan. This is the second uh, most diverse agricultural state in the entire United States. And we just find that absolutely unacceptable. It really is. I mean, here in Michigan or or anywhere in the United States, but especially, as you say, in Michigan, where we have access to incredible, you know, incredibly rich and diverse uh, food products, we ought to be able to uh, ensure that every citizen, uh, at, at, at the very basic level, I mean, you think about what we've been talking about, access to clean drinking water, mm-hmm. access to decent nutrition. Right. Those ought to be fundamentals. Those ought to be, there ought to be a floor of decency below which we never let anybody fall, especially in the richest country in the history of the world, at the rich, richest moment in its history. We ought to be able to ensure that. Uh, you know, like you, I, I witnessed poverty in other parts of the world. Uh, just about a month ago, I was in India working specifically on mm. the issue of poverty and hunger. And, of course, in some parts of the world, there is limited capacity to actually deliver nutritional food to the population. We don't have that hurdle. We just don't have the will as a society to make sure that every human being has decent nutrition. Um, We don't have the excuses that a third world nation would have, and that's the thing that's most frustrating to me Mm -hmm. as a member of Congress is when I fight to preserve the SNAP program, for example, and I hear this, these sort of fallacies or mythologies about uh, something as basic as a, as a uh, federally supported program to provide nutritious food to people living in poverty. There's all sorts of excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't do it, and it's, it's, uh, it's a morally bankrupt uh, approach that, that, that we're fighting against, and it's something that we, we, we cannot allow. Yeah. Well, I know this is a, a is a vitally important to you as uh, not only as a member of Congress, but as a man and as a father and a grandfather, because you and I uh, visited a um, meet up and eat up site last summer together uh, in the city of Flint, and I watched you, Congressman, um, stand there and uh, help those kids as they dutifully stood in line to receive that food and they knew exactly what time to come and exactly where to come and then as they got their food and they sat down under the shade of a tree to eat um, you walked over and interacted with them and talked with them and joined in some of the games that they were playing and I 
I just got a, a, a picture of you, and I want everybody else to have that same picture that, yes, here's a, a United States congressman uh, and, and a, a very influential leader in our, in our nation as well as in our state, but here is also a man of compassion. And I just, I just, I want people to understand that that your leadership is, it 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 evolves from your heart, from your mind, and what you felt for those kids. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, those, uh, as you know, and I know you feel the same way. Uh, those kids, they they are our kids, and we have to we have to develop policy and take the approach that they are our children, and we need to care for them. We need to make sure they're taken care of. Well, that's you're exactly right, and I, I, you know, I think that that's what we want to do. That's what we've been doing, uh, you know, and and it's not just any food that we want to that we want to uh, distribute and give. We want to make sure that it's access to healthy, nutritious food, so that their minds can grow and develop, and they have the opportunity and the chance to become the best person that they could be. And, 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 you know, I, I hear about um, the early childhood educations, and we're absolutely for those. But sometimes I hear that conversation, absence of access to healthy, nutritious food. And I just want to make sure that, uh, that that's always a part of the conversation. And so we're ringing that bell pretty loud here at home. Well, and you're right. And I'm glad you said it because, you know, often we don't, you know, we take this for granted that people understand this. We, we shouldn't take it for granted. Uh, there are people who don't have access to healthy uh, food choices, who don't. There are children uh, for whom fresh fruit and vegetables is such a rarity that it's almost never thought of. And the other point you make is, you know, there is a moral dimension to this. I mm. believe we have an obligation to one another that that requires us to make sure that, that, that those least among us are fed properly. That's a fundamental but it is also in our interest, in our mutual and national interest, because these kids have tremendous potential. Hmm. And it's a potential that will not be realized unless they are given the chance to have a great and very aggressive trajectory. That will be made possible by good nutrition, by you know learning opportunities. Their potential is something that will be benefit all of society if it's fully realized and if it's not realized then obviously that has negative consequences for all of us so you know i always almost always default to the moral dimension of this sure but it's important for people to understand there's also a national interest there's a self-interest in making sure that every child has the greatest opportunity to be the best they can possibly be well, I, I think you make a great point there, and you know the leadership principle is that the chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and you know if we're not doing something to lift the 1.5 million people who are existing in poverty in our state, and 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 one of the first key things I think that we can do and we should do, as you said, as a moral imperative, is to make sure that that hunger comes off the table and they get access to healthy, nutritious food and, and not just the kids, but the seniors and really everybody in between. And there's no reason we can't do that in this state. And the food bank council is, uh, there are seven leaders of the, uh, regional food banks across the state have put together and we are, we are developing the blueprint to solve hunger in Michigan and the moral imperative and the possibilities, because we have such a great supply of food in our state, 
we think, gives us the opportunity to become the first state in all over the U.S. to solve hunger. And, uh, of course, we know that you're, you're right alongside of us in that, and we'd like to share this blueprint uh, with you and with your staff and get your input and, and have you guys help us uh, sharpen us and make us better. Well, thank you for that. I'm happy to do it. And you do, you're right. We have the capacity through the food bank uh, network that we have here. It's a very efficient system. They make a dollar go about as far as you can make a dollar stretch. <laughs> and they just need more. They just need access to the resources. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that in any way that I can. Well, it's great to have you. It's great to have you here on Food for Thought. That's why we're doing the show here on WJR. He's Congressman Dan Kildee. He represents the fifth district in uh, in Michigan. You've been there since 2013, and I, I you know, I, I can't get you let you go here without without asking you that if you if you're thinking that there is anything uh, closer to home or in your future there, uh, we'd be happy to have you come on Food for Thought and. Uh, and share any of that news whenever it might be available. United States Congressman Dan Kildee, thanks for being with us here on Food for Thought. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And now, another Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan moment. I have on the line with me Helen Dietrich. Helen, uh, it looks like you and your husband, Alan, operate the Ridgeview Orchard in Ottawa County. And I can see that uh, you're donated several tons that 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 just blows me away right there not pounds but tons of apples and asparagus over the past several years uh in order to help folks in your community become food secure and so the first thing i have to say is welcome to the show the second thing i have to say is thank you for caring so much well thank you for the opportunity to talk with you this morning um yes we at ridgeview orchards think it's just a great opportunity to be able to give to our community. Um, Over the years, we've done a couple different things. Um, One of the things that we're most excited about and that we really enjoy doing is we have a school group from North Park Elementary Uh in in the Grand Rapids area, and they come out, their middle school students come to our farm every year, and they pick up, they pick apples off the trees, and they collect them, and they put them into um, a bus, they put them in, like, big boxes and right, they put them yeah. to a bus. Yep. And then they, they take that back to the food bank, um, and then they're able to kind of sort it. So the children understand where the food comes from. They're able to pick the food um, and, put you know, and collect it. And then they also go back to the food council, and they see how the food gets distributed. Wow. Could we do that with every middle school in the state? <laughs> oh, I wish we could, but we, we just kind of have paired up with this one. And it's just a great opportunity because we also take the time to explain to them <clears throat> how our season works and how our right. storage works and all those, all the, everything that kind of is included in picking apples and growing apples. That is an amazing story. And, you know, um, I grew, my children grew up out of, 
out of the United States uh, in their younger years. We lived out of the country and cross-culturally. And I can, I just would not trade that experience for them because they saw uh, the need that people have in such dramatic ways. And mm-hmm. I have to imagine that that these children are realizing themselves that people are in need and yet they have something to offer and a, and you're providing a mechanism, a process by which they can invest their life and help those people who are in need. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, it, and I think it's important that it starts at the younger ages. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's Helen Dietrich. Her and her husband, Alan, operate the Ridgeview Orchards in Attawa County. And uh, Helen, I, how many, how long have you and Alan been, been at Ridgeview and how long have you been farming? Oh my goodness. Um, my husband is the fifth generation. Our farm has been in business since the 1850s. Um, we've been farming our whole lives. I also grew up on a farm and I married when I married my husband. Um, we farm with our entire family, my husband's brother and his wife and our nephew and our son, and um, hopefully we'll be around for the sixth and seventh and eighth generations. Well, we have to say thank you to the Dietrich family and all of your extended family for the partnership and how you've invested your handful of life into making sure that people have access to healthy, nutritious food. Helen Dietrich, thank you. Thank Alan. Thank your entire family for your service. Well, you're very welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. Great conversation there, Jerry Brisson, with uh, Congressman Dan Kildee, who covered a lot of ground and territory, which you have to do when you're a United States congressman. But uh, he's very informed, uh, very knowledgeable about the struggles that are happening with a, a large part of our population uh, people who are living in poverty in Michigan. What are your some of your first initial thoughts from you his know, interview? And I know you can, you're looking at me sitting on the edge of my seat, you know, yeah. practically right on top of the microphone. So I'll tell you what, um, using Flint's story to drive positive change is one of the things he talked about. And of course, it's not how you want to drive change, right? You don't want to wait for a catastrophe exactly. in order to drive change. And yet, when it happens, if you don't use it to drive change, you've made a huge mistake, right? Absolutely. So I, I, it's, 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 it is something we have to have in front of us, what happened in Flint, and how food is still playing a role for those kids to mitigate that lead problem, right? right. And, and if, if the congressman's bill passes, hopefully we'll, we'll avoid some of that for other communities. In the meantime... The food banks are out here getting this kind of food to kids all over Michigan right now. And and we're going to keep doing that because that's what we do. And so, right. you know, we're it, it's it's these kind of partnerships are so effective and so important to our ultimate goal of making food insecurity a thing of the past. Right. The other thing that I'm just chomping at the bit to talk about, he spoke briefly about SNAP and some of the challenges of talking about SNAP and things people understand and don't understand. And I'll tell you one of the things that I think has to be understood when you look at providing households enough nutrition is not just what does it cost to do it. It's what does it cost not to do it? What if you don't provide the nutrition? And we know some things that it costs. Children from food insecure households are 1.6 times more likely to miss school, twice as likely to be suspended, and almost 50% more likely to have to repeat a grade. 
Is that what we want to pay for? Is that the cost we want to pay? And we spend right now $130 billion a year in in healthcare costs that could be avoided if we just gave people the food they need. $130 billion. Now, I know SNAP is $70 billion, which is a lot of money, but we're spending $130 billion because we're not fixing this problem. So you got to look at it from both sides. And it's easy to get on a little tear about this because we're involved in this every day. We right. know... You know the chaos people are living through when they're when they're managing poverty, and and it's so easy to look at at folks and say, well, they should just X whatever X is. They should just do this. I had one person call me the other day and say, well, they should just eat oatmeal. You know that's cheap, and they can eat a lot of it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not saying they shouldn't eat oatmeal. I'm just saying it's awful easy to sit back and look, but when your life is uh, includes having to address food insecurity, and you've got kids. We've said this before. You only have one problem at that point, and that problem yeah. is how do I get enough food for my family? And so, by enabling families to do more than worry about that problem, we're driving a lot of success. So let's not just focus on what it costs to fix it. Let's focus on what it costs not to fix it and then find out who wins when we win, right? Right. And get them engaged in the solution and fix this problem. Well, I think that is a great counterthought um, and antithesis way of looking at the problem. Uh, I think politically... There are many people who look at this and go, um, this is way too much money. Entitlements is way too much money. It's, crea- it's too, too large of a percentage of our budget. And, and they like that to talk of it and that thing. But what you're saying is, okay, yeah, you're right. $70, $70 billion in SNAP is a lot of money. But at the same time, what if you, what if you do cut that? What's going to happen? Because that is a reality of what is happening in our world today. So when you take this assistance away, what is the net result on the food banks? That's right. And it's going to be a significant cost. So you see, our lines are not going to get shorter. They're going to get longer. Right. And right. so we're the people who are create. We are that safety net that when, when that safety net gets, gets shortened or lessened, by the federal government, and you know, eventually, as it trickles down to the state government, then it's private nonprofits like the seven food banks and the food bank council that are catching those people. It's so true, and um, I think that again, we we were talking about awareness, right? What kinds of things do we have to be aware of when we start to drive solutions for these problems? And so I think we should all be held to a higher standard of accountability. And when government, uh, uh, people in government at any level Mm -hmm. say to us nonprofits out here, hey, you got to show me this actually works. I think that's fair. I think we should be able to. That question does not scare me. No. And we're working on that all the time. You know, it is part of the solution to get to those answers and show that there's a real impact. I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, I feel like I've been feeding three generations of people. You know, when does this ever stop? To which I said, it stops when we decide. We haven't decided to make it stop. And until we decide, it's not going to stop. Well, Congressman Kildee talked about that, Jerry. He talked about, and we've said it on this show before, about creating Uh, And I would say one of the objectives of the show of Food for Thought on WJR is to help create the political and personal will to solve this 
once and for all. And I have people who will say to me, I guess this is this is what people said to me segment here, <laughs> you know, that that you can't solve hunger without solving poverty. And I'm just going to tell you that I totally disagree with that. I think you can take hunger off the table. Do you have to look at root causes in hunger? Absolutely. But I don't think you have to solve the entire complex, multi-layered problem of poverty in order to solve hunger. Because, very simply, we manufacture, create, grow, and can supply enough food. Now, can we solve the logistical problems with that? Can we scale the money? Can we create other streams of revenue so that we can deliver this food to the people who need it? Well, that's been the question, right? Can we create policies that that allow people to grow and develop and accumulate without punishing them because they're working? Can we create those kind of momentum and decisions? Yeah, I think we can. So then I think we can solve hunger while we're addressing that aspect of it in, within the co- the larger context of poverty. I agree. Uh, well, of course I agree. That's why we're here, That's right? What, yeah. And and to engage further in the conversation of look, there's very few people that disagree that this is a problem that ought to be solved. There's very few people that disagree that the consequences of this problem are too expensive, especially when you look at solving it being much, much less expensive, right? Very few people disagree about that. There is a lot of conversation about who and how and how much. We're working on that. Right. That's what's driving our work right now. Who and how and how much, and maybe I could add for how long. We've got right. to be smart enough to figure that out. And, you know, we're working with not just the food banks, but lots of other partners who are smart enough to figure that out. And a piece at a time, this can be fixed. And let's not have another catastrophe in order to drive this change. Let's make it happen right now. We can do that. I think we can do that. And that's one of the reasons we're um, we're here on Food for Thought. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be uh, taking this show up uh, to uh, the policy conference on Mackinac Island pretty soon. And so we want to make sure that uh, we're talking with some of those uh, policy makers, decision makers. And uh, so we look forward to that day to continue this conversation with those who are making key decisions in this state. Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. We're back, Jerry Brisson. We're going to Mackinac. We are, and I'm excited about it. It, it gets to what, the conversation that we've been having and we've just had about influence is so important. And you started today talking about it is the primary role of leadership. Mm-hmm. And the policy conference that the Detroit Regional Chamber hosts is one of those places where there's a lot of influencers and a lot of opportunity to be present, to get to know people, to establish relationships because relationships drive influence. And so we know right. this problem is solved when the business community and the philanthropic community and the nonprofit community and the legislators and the governor and his people, when all those people start to get a feeling for, there are smart and capable and good people working on a solution that actually is going to pay us in the long run if we solve it, that's a great opportunity. It is. It is a great opportunity. And, you know, none of the people you just mentioned are a part of the problem. They're all a part of the solution. Exactly right. 
exactly right. There's nobody who's standing here, oh no, I'm going to stand here and fight so that hunger continues, in fact, increases. Nobody's saying that. Not a person. It's a, it is a, it is a issue in the modern day world, politically, that unites, it doesn't separate. Agreed. So here we are at a little food for thought. And we had a great show today. I think Congressman Kildee really uh, emphasized a lot of things. I want to highlight the comment he made about creating the political and personal will in order to solve hunger and create food security. It was Kofi Annan who said, we have the means and the capacity to deal with our problems if only we can find the political will. And this was a gentleman looking at problems from a worldwide perspective. We're looking at it from a statewide perspective. And Jerry Brisson, I think us and your other leaders in the six other food banks across the state, I think all the people you just mentioned, as we come together, we'll be able to solve this problem because we can create both the political and the personal will. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought here on WJR. Jerry and I will be back next week. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.